celebrating uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Many cultures, many different uh, uh, places throughout the centuries have been doing this, and we continue that because it was the love of God that caused Jesus to come to this earth and to, to offer himself as a sacrifice to, to forgive the world of its sins. And who needs their sin forgiven? That's right. We all do. We all sin. We all mess up. We all uh, you know, do things that we wish we wouldn't have done and so forth. But today we celebrate because today we worship the risen Jesus. Not only is today Easter, but it's also the beginning of a, a series that I'm going to do in the, over the next four weeks called Love Reigns. Um, uh, we'll be discovering all the amazing uh, things about God's love and how it transforms our past, our present, and our future. And those are going to be the next three weeks is our past, our present, and our future. Because many people really underestimate the love uh, uh, and the power of love. I would argue, however, that it's the most powerful force on earth. Just ask any man that's married, okay? We can relate to that. The love is what drives us in order to win the hearts and the, and the minds of our wives and our girlfriends as, you know, before they become our wives. I remember when I first met my wife, I was working nights at the grain elevator during the summer. And I would get up in the middle of my night, which was day, and I would drive and go and take her to lunch. And then I would come back and I would sleep for a couple more hours and then I'd get up and go work my 12-hour shift at the grain elevator. The length of which guys will go to to win the woman is amazing. It's the beginning of love. Love is a driving force behind our sacrificial you know, actions toward our, our family and our friends, toward the ones that we love, we would gladly pay any price in order to demonstrate how much we, pay, how much we care. And if you have kids, you understand that. Love is powerful. And not, I mean, if you have nieces, and if you have young ones, I mean, if you're a teacher, any, you know, if you have a love for a small child, you understand that because love is powerful and it moves us to do amazing things. Before there was ever an Easter Sunday, there was a Good Friday. Before there was ever a resurrection, there was a death. For 33 years, Jesus, you know, Jesus walked the earth while serving the hungry, healing the broken, delivering the oppressed. He announced the coming kingdom of God and, and the restoration of all things back toward God. He claimed to be the Son of God, and many believed he was the true king of all things. The, the, the kind of thinking and teaching caused a lot of conflict, as you could imagine, in the Roman Empire, in the, in the Roman world, because they were in top dogs. They wanted to be kings, and, and they couldn't imagine anybody else calling themselves a king. Herod was a tyrant. And he was constantly afraid of the authority, of his authority that would be undermined. And, and another potential, uh, potential king would be a threat to the Roman rule and therefore had to be eradicated. Both Herod and Jesus could not reign over Israel at the same time, much less the rest of the world. So the Jewish religious leaders and the Roman centurions worked together to have Jesus arrested. He was brought for trial for his claims to be God. He was convicted, beaten, nearly to death, 
He was forced to carry the, the rugged wooden cross all the way to the hill where he would be killed upon. In Matthew 27, it starts out and says, as they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after uh, tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed a written charge against him. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He is king, or he's the king of Israel, you know, kind of that question. Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. See, the crucifixion of Jesus is, is marked by ridicule and disbelief. The soldiers mocked Jesus by placing a sign over his head, calling him the king of the Jews. Even, even though they did not believe it, they passed by and they mocked Jesus by telling him to save himself. The priests and the teachers did likewise. Come on, get off the cross if you're the king of the Jews. Come on down. But none of them understood that the true test of Jesus' power and his authority uh, you know, <clears throat> was not in his ability to save himself from crucifixion, but in his ability to overcome the death that the crucifixion would cause. Sometimes we miss uh, the proof of Jesus' lordship because we're expecting him to prove himself in certain ways. And he does something different. See, many individuals have decided in their hearts that they will never trust in a man named Jesus unless he meets their expectations. Unless Jesus heals their, uh, you know, their relative or takes away their pain or their hurt or gives them a job or stops world hunger or writes something in the sky using a plane or not a plane, maybe his hand, whatever, whatever expectations they have, if he would just do this, then I would call him king of my life. They would never allow you know, themselves to serve him as king unless he does what they want him to do. See, I'm afraid that this kind of mentality is the same kind of struggle that plagued those who, who uh, were there at Jesus' death. It's the same mentality that drove Herod. It was the same mentality that, that drove him to be a part of God's, you know, the death of God's son. And when we demand Jesus to prove himself on our terms, we rob ourselves of seeing his work in our lives. Think about that one for a second. When we demand Jesus prove himself on our terms, we rob ourselves of seeing his work in our lives. Herod was not the last one to be threatened by the kingship of Jesus. He is not the only one to struggle with the idea of Jesus being in charge. You know, the truth is that, that there's still an idea that we have a hard time with today, Jesus being in charge. In our lives, there can only be one king as well. 
Have you thought about that? In our lives, there can only be one king. It has been said that, the, that, that on the throne of our hearts sits the one who reigns in our life, the one who rules our life. We must choose whether that will be Jesus or whether it will be ourselves. We have to choose. When we're on the throne of our own hearts, we make decisions based on what we want. We often live selfishly, don't we? When it's about me and my world and my wants, I like that, don't you? I mean, as a pastor, can I admit that? I'm not sure. What's your expectations of me? See what I'm saying? We all have expectations. But we like to live selfishly. The other choice that we have is to put Jesus on the throne of our lives. When Jesus is on the throne of our life, love reigns over it. We listen to his leading. We put others first. We, we, we try to have the heart of God. We try to have the eyes and the ears and the feet of God, the hands of God. And we live sacrificially. So when it comes to the way we speak, act, or live, there can only be one king in our life. Now, if Jesus is dead, then none of that matters. But if he rose from the dead, then it changes everything because he is king. Because love overcame death. Three days after Jesus was crucified and and laid in the tomb to everyone's shock and amazement, he appeared in bodily form to so many different people, including the disciples and many others. They had seen him killed. They knew he was dead, and now he's sitting there eating with some of them, walking with them, talking with them. Jesus' love for humanity has overcome that death and defeated evil once and for all. His resurrection is a proof that he was indeed the king of all. There was a renowned artist called Paul Gustav Dore, or Dore, however you want to pronounce it, back in the 1800s, I think 1821 to 1880s, right in there. He lost his passport. Yes, they had passports back then. Uh, He lost his passport when he was traveling in Europe. When he came to the border, he explained the predicament to one of the guards giving you know, the guard his, his name and, and all his information, and, and, and uh, Gustav hoped he would be recognized and allowed to pass, allowed to, to continue. The guard sell, uh, said, however, many people have attempted to cross the borders by claiming to be persons they were not, so he needed proof. So Gustav insisted that he was a man he claimed to be, and the guard was like, all right, all right, okay, okay, we'll give you a test, and if you pass the test, we'll let you continue on. Handing him a pencil and a sheet of paper, he told the artist to sketch several people standing nearby. If you're an artist, you ought to be able to do this. So he quickly and skillfully sketched the people nearby, and the guard Uh, was convinced that he was indeed the person he said he was. His work confirmed his word. Now, Jesus' work confirmed his word as well. Though many doubted him, many mocked him, death did not have the last say on his life. Love did. He rose from the grave. The scriptures tell us it's true in one of the most famous passages of all, John 3.16. And I only had to put this one up on the screen because everybody knows it. 
Now, you may say it in a different version. I always say it in the version I, I learned it as a kid. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, that whoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We all know it, but do we believe it? God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to live and die. That is who we put our hope in. That is who we put our faith in. That is who we put our trust in. Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. And once we do that, we're saved. This is why we celebrate today. This is why we've given, you know, are given an opportunity for eternal life. We know this because of Jesus. The worst thing that can happen to us will not be the last thing that happens to us because we will experience resurrection in a new life. There's nothing in this world that can tear us down to the point where it's not worth it because of what Jesus did on the cross. After Jesus is resurrected, his final words to his followers revealed to, you know, to us the, the truth of the Easter story. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Easter is the day that Jesus was given all authority over heaven and on earth. No matter how many people doubted, no matter how many people scoffed, he is the king of the Jews and the Gentiles and everyone else. He is the king of all those who believe the entire world. No matter how many have questioned his power, he did not defeat the cross uh, once and for all. He defeated everything. The love of God defeated everything and was the authority. And now he's reigning over the entire war world as, as well as our lives. His final instructions to his followers was to go in the world and make disciples. You know, some people believe that that means going to the world and beat people over the head with the Bible and just get them to say the one little prayer. If they could just say this prayer, then they'll be saved. Is that making a disciple? No. Making a disciple is being there and teaching them and loving them and being there along the way as they learn how to live this life for God. We need to be out there telling people who will listen about Jesus Christ because he changed the world. We need to let, let love reign in us. Today, if you consider yourself a Christian, this instruction has been given to you as well. You are to be a part of making disciples. The Greek word is used for disciples, a form of the word uh, uh, mathesis which means learner or student. We're to allow ourselves to be students and learners of the way of Christ to help others become students and learners. You see how the process works? Fathers and mothers understand this. You have a child. They grow up. You want them to be like you. You want them to, you want to mold them and, and make them so they become great and wonderful Christ-following adults, right? 
That's our desire. That's, that's what we want. We should be doing that to others as well. To be a disciple is a lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus every day and in every way. Over time, we learn to, to live generous lives. We learn to forgive even when it hurts. We learn to serve other people. We learn to, to practice self-control. And we learn to give people grace and peace. When we submit the love of Jesus into our lives, when we bring that, we are compelled to live like him and to invite others to join. And this is what it means to let love reign. I became a believer when I was fairly young. I think it was around 12 or so. You know, at that point, you're not fully aware of the decision you're making, but at that point, you, you know, you understand, but you don't understand what that means when you become 20. You don't understand what that means when you become married. You don't understand what that means when, when you become, you know, the, the young adults and out on your own and making your own decisions. You don't understand what that means when you start having children and how you act and what you say. You don't understand those things, and you have to continually commit your life back to God. I'm not saying that you weren't a believer. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you have to continually look back and say, okay, is my life committed to, to where it should be? I knew that Jesus loved me and had died and, and rose again for me, and I wanted to give, uh, you know, I wanted to give him my life. And since that time, I prayed to be, you know, for Jesus to live in me. I've seen many life changes and, and, you know, and how God has, has worked himself and weaved himself throughout my life. I mean, I could tell you all sorts of things uh, that, that have happened to my wife and I, and I'm not going to take the time to do that today. But, but if you want to hear about God and, and, and wonderful God things, just talk to us about our both, uh, what I call our, our miracle children. The first child and the second child, and how, you know, through adoption on the second child and the first child, all the stuff that went on with that. Every chance I get to tell a story, it's an amazing story because God is interwoven in that. But I tell you one thing that I have learned I've learned to be a better husband, father, and friend, and pastor because of the decision that I made to be, be a disciple of Christ. How has Christ changed your life? The final reminder that we are given by Jesus before he ascended into heaven is that he will always be with us, always, to the very end. You know, maybe today some of you might feel like God has forgotten you. There's no communication there. But I want to remind you that you are never alone. Jesus lives it dwells inside of those who trust him by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us. That means no matter what you're going through or where you're at, no matter what you face, you are not alone. You know, I'm convinced that there are two types of people. Here and watching online, those aren't the two types, but I'm just saying that there's two types of people. First off, there are those who have never made the decision to follow God, to let love reign in their lives, and to follow Jesus. Maybe you've been waiting to, for Jesus to prove himself, and you have certain expectations. This is, how, uh, this is how God should prove himself to me, and I won't follow until that happens. 
and it hasn't happened. Maybe you don't want to give up control of your life to Jesus so you never submitted yourself to God. Today I want to invite those maybe that are, that are online or here to, to invite Jesus into the heart to say a simple prayer and become a disciple and student of his for the rest of your life. It's very simple. I'll lead this prayer. Let's just bow our, our heads. Somebody might be willing to, somebody might be there right there. It says, you know, Jesus, I confess that I live my, my, on my own in my own way. And under my own authority for too long, I've sinned against others and sinned against myself. I'm sorry, and I ask for forgiveness. I believe that you died and you rose again for me. I welcome your spirit to work in my life and obey you above everything else. I want to join you in sharing the good news of the resurrection. Thank you for promising always to be with me the rest of my days. Amen. Now, if that was you, let us know. And if you're online, let us know. He can change your life like nothing else. Strive to live every day under the reign of Christ's love. Now, secondly, there may be some here today who have trusted Jesus before, but have grown tired of obeying. We've all been kids at one point. Did you ever get tired of obeying? Did you ever disobey your parents? Yeah. I I like that look that you just gave. You know, we are the same way. We get to the point where we get tired of obeying God. We we disobey God, and, and Easter reminds us that once again we can repent and obey. And if this is you today, I want to remind you that Jesus promised never to leave us. He still loves you, and he's still with you, and you need to commit yourself once again to him. This Easter, may you see that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the proof of his love. And may you let that love reign in your hearts. May you join God in spreading the word and the good news into this world because he is risen. He is risen indeed, right? Happy Easter. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for all types of people in this world. But Lord, I specifically pray for, for those who have never given their hearts, maybe for the first time they have, Lord, that you would just uh, bring those around them to wrap their, your, their arms around who they are and to disciple them, to truly teach them how to be your disciple. Lord, I also pray for those that maybe have stepped away, who, who have maybe, you know, purposely disobeyed you, Lord. And they know it, that they would have that pull on their heart to come back to you. Or maybe the person who stepped away that didn't even realize it and they find themselves way off the path, that that they would come running back to you, Lord. We love your grace, we love your mercy, but most of all, Lord, we love your forgiveness. You died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. What amazing thing that is. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you because he rose from the grave so he could. 
May his grace never turn from you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.